evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. As big of a show, obviously, we got NBA, NFL, all that. About to get into that in just a second. But this is the last weekend of the regular season in the NFL, okay? So this show, while we're going to talk NBA, we're going to talk some NFL stories, some Belichick, some Travis Kelsey calling out the media for our criticism of Mike Tomlin, everything in between. Why the Bills are not Super Bowl contenders, win or lose on Sunday, all of that at the top of the next hour. Okay, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific time, one hour from now, playoff scenarios and playoff predictions, not the predictions for how the playoffs will will turn out, but in terms of who's going to be in, who's going to be out, a lot of different scenarios. We'll go over each and every one of them. If your favorite team's on the brink, I know mine is, my Steelers, we're going to go over if your team's in the race for a division, like the Cowboys or the Buccaneers or the Jaguars or any other teams out there, going to get into that later on today's show, an hour from now. Going to also get into Victor Wimbanyama and Giannis Antetokounmpo getting in a just a battle uh, last night, back and forth. What that game, what those two star players, Giannis a superstar, Victor not far off. Obviously, his future is incredibly bright. What those two guys told you in their performance, told us really in our performance, in their performance last night. I'll get to that in about 10 to 15 minutes. But first, say that unenthusiastically. Uh, My Warriors have hit the low point. We have hit the, just when you think it can't get any worse, it, it, it does. My Golden State Warriors, who with six and a half minutes left in the basketball game, held a 123-105 to lead. Now, you would think, with Steph Curry going ballistic, not really ballistic, but his usual 30 points, his very efficient 30 points, I might add. Klay Thompson gives you 24 on 50% for the field. The way Klay's been playing this season, take that in a heartbeat. Brandon Pajemski coming off the bench, going three for four from three-point range, 13 points, five assists. I'll take that. How about Chris Paul? Nine, six, and four, efficient shooting. Yeah, that's about what you get from Chris Paul night tonight. Putting the defending champions in a tough spot. And then the Nuggets went on a 23-4, or is it 23? Yeah, 23-4 run. And it eventually got to a 25-4 run. Because of this. Jokic has it. Clock takes. Got to put one up. Jokic for the win. Oh! It's good! Jokic got it off in time! And the Nuggets win it! Run in the last six and a half. Hey, put the ball in your best player's hands. I just told Michael Malone it was a great play call. <laughs> and why not? Look at Jokic's reaction. Okay, first of all, a, <laughs> a remarkable shot by the best player in all of basketball, Nikola Jokic. Uh, honest to God, I'm not even kidding you. I, like, I'm not at the game. I'm not in San Francisco. As I'm watching him take it, because we've seen Jokic hit kind of those turning to his right, awkward, uh, over his head, almost Larry Bird-style three-point shots. Lakers fans would know it better than anybody. That game four shot he hit to essentially put the Lakers away in the conference finals in game four. When he let that go, I'm watching. It, it's like it was like a, a car accident in slow motion. I'm like, this son of a gun's going to make this shot. Called glass, went in, and you know, the, the announcers, I don't know if the announcers pointed out, Brian Anderson, Stan Van Gundy do a great job for TNT, but Jokic looked more excited about that shot 
than he did about winning the finals last year. Remember the quote with, with Lisa Salters of ESPN, the job is done and we can go home now. This one, he's like, oh my God. Like he reacted about how do you react? How do you expect a superstar player hitting an insane shot to react? So Denver's a great team. Denver's the best team in the Western Conference. Missed me with the Minnesota stuff. Minnesota's not beating Denver. Stop. Oklahoma City, I really like. I still don't think they're on Denver's level yet. It's Denver's conference to lose in my view. So let's talk about Golden State because I'm a Warriors fan. And uh, seen the best days. Seen some bad ones too. 2019-20, it's a long season. Worst record in basketball. But as the old saying in sports goes, and I repeat it often, is that the best place in sports to be is where the Warriors have overwhelmingly been in the last decade. At the top, competing for titles. Whether it's with Steph, Clay, Draymond, Iggy, and a cast of, uh, of good rotation players, good role players, known as strength in numbers. Whether it's you get rid of said numbers and bring in this guy, maybe you've heard of him, Kevin Durant, and become the most unstoppable force the game has ever seen. And even a couple of years ago, the kids. Jordan Poole, Kevon Looney, still relatively young. Andrew Wiggins, not in, quite in his prime yet, although looking back, that might have been his prime. Uh, with a mix of vets like Otto Porter Jr., Gary Payton, with the old guard, Steph, Clay, Draymond. Iggy was still there. Great coach, Steve Kerr. It's the best place to be in sports. The second best place to be in sports is at the bottom, in the cellar, San Antonio Spurs, Detroit Pistons, Charlotte Hornets. Now the question is, can the people in the front office put you in, put you in a position to get to the top? Who knows? But at least you know what you got to do to get to the top. At least you know this ain't cutting it. This ain't coming anything close to cutting it. The worst spot to be is in the middle, and that's exactly essentially where the Golden State Warriors are. First of all, they're not even 500. They're 16 and 18. They're 11th place in the Western Conference, only a half game behind the Lakers for the playing game. But obviously, when you have one of the greatest basketball players who ever lived and still an awesome player in Steph Curry, that simply is not acceptable. And I'm hearing out of uh, camps like Jonathan Kaminga's camp, this came out from Sham Shrani today, that he is frustrated with his role in Golden State. Jonathan Kaminga last night, ladies and gentlemen, scored 16 points on 5 for 7 shooting in 19 minutes. Steve Kerr, who I love, did not play him the last quarter and a half. Love Steve, but coach, did it ever occur to you when Denver's making this run, when Denver's hitting all these three-pointers to get themselves back in the game? Did it ever occur to you, or did it ever occur to you that, hey, you know, I've got this guy on my bench. He's long, twitchy, athletic, and can score it well at the rim. Maybe that'd help us to close the game out. Moses Moody reportedly. This is according to, I believe, Anthony Slater. I don't, I don't, actually, matter of fact, I don't want to misquote. I'm going to make sure I get this right because Moses Moody is reportedly, he does not like his role in Golden State, understandably so because he's barely getting any playing time. Uh, this is according to, uh, to Jason Dumas. He says that Moses Moody, this is a quote from him, the people around Moses are frustrated with the lack of a role and consistency. So Moses Moody isn't playing, Jonathan Kaminga isn't playing. Those really come at some of the building blocks that Golden State took in the draft two years ago, really two and a half years ago at this point. They're not happy. Draymond is suspended. Wiggins has regressed so bad. Kerr's moved him to the bench. Looney isn't the same player. Love Clay always will, and he played very well last night. Can't put that loss on Clay. But those nights at this point in Clay's career are kind of few and far between. It's Steph, couple of young guys I like, Kaminga, uh, you know, you know uh, Pajemski, J Trace Jackson Davis, and that's about it. Would Draymond have been in the line, being in the lineup, would that have made a difference? Of course it would have made a difference. 
Really, Draymond Green's one of the three guys on the Warriors team. I know exactly what I'm getting. Steph is Steph. I don't need to go into him. Chris Paul, know what I'm getting. 9 to 12 points a game. Efficient. Doesn't turn the ball over. Getting guys in and out of sets. Everything that I thought Chris Paul was going to be in Golden State, he's been exactly that. So I got nothing against Chris Paul. And Draymond Green, who checked the Warriors' offensive rating with him and without him. Checked the Warriors' defensive rating with him and without him. Different basketball team. Even to this day, even though Draymond, oh my guy, can't shoot and all that. Different basketball team when he's on the floor because of his IQ, his toughness, and his chemistry with Steph and also with Clay. This team, we are at January 5th, 2024. The trade deadline is a month and three days away, the Thursday before this year's Super Bowl. If by that point, I believe the deadline's at 4 p.m. Eastern. If I come on my show the Friday before the Super Bowl to do my Super Bowl picks and all that, and the Warriors have not made any substantial changes in that time, they're done. And not as in this season, the dynasty. I've never come that close to saying the dynasty was over ever. I have maintained since I started my show, Carving It Up, in October 2019. And that's that's initially kind of when the whole dynasty's over talk started. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Great, great player, Steph. Clay will come back. Draymond's still a, a, an effective player. You build a roster around those guys. You still got Steve Curry. You can still compete. And guess what? They won a championship in 2022. Evidently, the dynasty wasn't over. Heck, last year, a couple shots go their way. A couple possessions go their way. They may get to the Western Conference Finals. Now, they were not going to beat Denver. We saw what Denver did to virtually everybody they played. But still, Conference Finals, it, there are worse seasons you could have. This team is not close. It's Steph. Whatever you got of Chris Paul, Draymond, if he can stay on the floor when he comes back, and that appears to be, according to reports, relatively soon, and that's it. If I'm relying on Brandon Pajemski, a rookie who I absolutely love. Mike Dunleavy Jr. hit a home run with that pick. And with the Trace Jackson Davis pick late in the second round. Both those guys have been good, have been good impact players. But if I'm relying on those guys to help me get to a title, heck, at this point, get to the playoffs... I'm a lot farther away from a championship than I probably would have admitted before the season. So, and this is going to blow your socks off. Hang on to your seats, your phones, computers, tablets, whatever you're watching, smart TVs, however you're watching the show or listening to the show. Glad you're with us. The Golden State Warriors should trade for LeBron James. I said it. You're like, how? How? how wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a second. Trade for who? Yeah, you, I didn't stutter. LeBron James. Fact of the matter is, the Los Angeles Lakers aren't exactly in a much better position. Now, I like the Lakers roster better than Golden State. As a matter of fact, my criticism of the Lakers really isn't in, in regards to their roster. It really isn't to this point in the season in regards to, obviously, LeBron, but even Anthony Davis. AD's been pretty good this season. Yeah, he has the occasional coin flip game where it lands on tails and he's awful. AD's been, by and large, really, really good this year. Efficient. Uh, good, sorry, not good, amazing on the defensive end and has given you 25 a night. I like the role players, Austin. I can't, I don't like D'Angelo Russell. They need to move off him. Outside of that, I like the roster. It's the coach, Darvin Ham. It doesn't work. Now, whether or not the Lakers will move off of him, we'll see. But do the Lakers appear to be in a much better position? And the Lakers know. Assuming Bronny James is in next year's draft. Let's just assume that for the moment. Let's go there. LeBron's been about as public as can be. I want to play with my son. Unless the Lakers draft Bronny, Bron's leaving. Bron's leaving after this season. Yeah, like that's, I, I, we'll be clear on that. LeBron is not going to be a Laker in 2024 through 25. He's not going to be there. 
So knowing that, could you get some compensation for him? And by the way, still be a pretty competitive team. I got a package for you, okay? Jonathan Kaminga, who we know will get minutes in LA, and the Lakers, Lakers fans, and I say this is the Warriors fan, I'm not just trying to sell y'all damaged goods. This kid will be an all-star. I, I said that the day he was drafted, he will be an all-star. I hoped it would be in Golden State. Not sure if that's going to be the case because he's not getting the proper minutes. Moses Moody's pissed off. Moses Moody can shoot. What the heck do the Lakers need? They need shooters. Here's Moses Moody. Andrew Wiggins, veteran guy, you know, is capable of knocking down the three-point shot from, from time to time. He's only shooting 30% this year, but he's been in a little bit of a slump. It hopes to, hopefully you course correct that. Effective defender who's like your fourth option, and that's a perfect role for him. And a slew of first-round picks. There's your trade. Now, if you want to ask, ask for a, a Trace Jackson Davis for some size to back up AD, I don't think the Lakers really need that because they have uh, Christian Wood. They have some other bigs on that team. But if they want that, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll put him in too. If you want Brandon Pajemski, we'll put him in too. Another shooter who's going to develop into a really good NBA player. There's your trade. Lakers get compensation for LeBron because let's be honest, unless the Lakers season just flips like it did last year, and who knows, it may, that team ain't winning a championship. Neither are the Warriors. The difference is the Warriors have a player in his prime who I think still wants to be there, Steph Curry. We'll see. Steph, LeBron, LeBron's been as vocal as anybody. I want to play with Steph Curry. You think Steph would be, Steph wasn't threatened in his prime off of two league MVPs when Kevin Durant walked in the building in his prime. Bron's not even in his prime anymore. And Bron will know. It's Steph's team. LeBron has done this experience before in Miami with Dwayne Wade. I don't know. For both sides, it makes all the sense in the world. Warriors have, because you know what LeBron also provides? You know part of the reason the Warriors lost that game? You know part of the reason why the Warriors have lost more 17-point leads than any team in the league this season? Because down the stretch, coaches know, the smart ones, Michael Malone certainly qualifies that in Denver, 30 ain't beating us. Steph ain't, if we lose, it's not going to be because that guy wearing number 30, six foot three with the mouth guard hanging out of his mouth is going to beat us. If Clay beats us, Pajemski, uh, Draymond when he's healthy, Wiggins, if any of those guys beat us, we shake Steve Kerr's hand, shake the player's hand, get on the plane, fly home. It is what it is. Ty lose double, you know, they double Steph. Throw a lot of attention at Steph. Throw, Ty Lue's done it. Uh, Michael Malone's done it. What a luxury for Steph to give Steph something that virtually every single superstar in the NBA has today except for Steph and probably Luka. LeBron has Anthony Davis. Kevin Durant has Devin Booker. Jason Tatum has Jalen Brown. We can go on and on. Joel Embiid has Tyrese Maxey. Okay? Giannis Antetokounmpo has Damian Lillard. Nikola Jokic has Jamal Murray. Would it kill the Warriors to get Steph a co-star? I think it makes all the sense in the world. That'll fix their problems in a very big way. All right, let's get let's let's do some let's get in the comments here. Okay, Patrick's got a good idea. Patrick Brown, chaotic uh, chaotic sports here on the Grid Network. Write some great pieces for great pieces. If I can speak today for the network, I'm I'm, I'm not gonna lie to y'all. Before I read your comment, Patrick, and I'll get to that, and I'll get to everybody else's. I was man, I couldn't sleep. It it takes. I tweeted this last night. It takes a lot. I'm a very even kill guy. It takes a lot to piss me off. Like this outrage culture we live in. Twitter gets mad about every single thing that happens. It takes a lot to make me mad. That loss made me mad <laughs> last night. That was that was rough. That was rough. 
But Patrick says, the only trade that will save your Warriors, uh, Warriors part ways with Clay, Wiggins, Mooney, and Kaminga for Kevin Durant. I'd rather see him as a Laker, but the Warriors have the ideal package to make it happen. Well, Kevin doesn't want to be in Phoenix. Uh, or I should say what doesn't want to be in Phoenix. Is disgruntled with Phoenix. It makes sense. Patrick, I've watched that replay several times. What a shot and about as good of defense as Kaminga uh, could have played. Now, it's actually uh, Looney, who's bigger than Kaminga. That's what made the shot even better. Is that Looney's going great? Is great call, Patrick. Looney's going straight up because obviously the worst thing for Looney to do is foul Jokic, and then Looney's the bad guy today. Looney gets his hands up straight up. He's a six foot nine guy, obviously not taller than Jokic, but the tallest guy the Warriors could throw on him, and he made a insane shot. Um, unbelievable, Patrick. Both of our superstars, he's a Lakers fan, by the way. Both of our superstars are frustrated. A trade needs to happen for both the Warriors and the Lakers. Stay tuned. Mac Thompson. What's up, Mac? Oh, come on, guys. He definitely deserves more follows for the work and content he puts up. You are the best. Thank you very much, Mac. I, I greatly, greatly appreciate that. Appreciate the love. You're the best. Patrick, LeBron and Steph on the same team. Ooh, ooh, man. I'm just telling you right now. Steph and LeBron on the same team. Oh, my. Would Adam, this is from Patrick, by the way. Would Adam Silver let this trade go down? There's no question he'd let it go down. So because you move, first of all, financially, the Warriors can do it. Wiggins, that contract's off the books now. Uh, if you wanted to move Kevon Looney, that's a little bit extra money. That, that contract's off the books now. Financially, it makes sense. We know Joe Lacob's willing to pay whatever he has to do. He's like the Stan Kroenke, the owner of the Rams. He's like the Stan Kroenke. Of, of the NBA, he'll do whatever he's got to do to be into contention. I don't know. The KD trade makes sense, Patrick. It does. But um, I can't imagine LeBron's much happier in LA than Kevin is in Phoenix. Let's put it that way. If, again, because I, I saw Chris Haynes today, and then we'll get to, um, to Giannis and Wimby. Chris Haynes, one of the best insiders in the NBA, he reported today, if I can pull this up, that the Warriors are reportedly interested in Pascal Siakam. Now, Siakam is almost assuredly going to get dealt by the Toronto Raptors, and reportedly the Warriors are interested. And another report came out today. I want to get this one as well. If I can pull this up. Where is, is this over here? Okay, yeah, this is from Anthony Slater. Anthony Slater, who covers the Golden State Warriors for the Athletic. He says, quote, I think the Warriors are using the next three weeks to assess what move needs to be made. I do think a move will be made. In the past, I haven't felt that way, end quote. And we know the Warriors throughout this dynasty have not made a whole lot of trades. Like the fact that they brought Gary Payton back at the deadline last year was kind of shocking because that's that's Bob Myers. That was never really his thing. Maybe that's Mike Dunleavy Jr.'s thing. And by the way, I think he's done a good job as a GM so far. He aced the draft. Can he ace the trade deadline? Because he inherited, you know, a... a Pretty good player, to say the very least, in, in Mr. Curry. So, I think uh, I think Anthony's right on the money. And Siakam could fit. I'd be fine with that. 22-point-per-game uh, scorer. Uh, gives you about, I think, six rebounds, five assists, something in that ballpark. Shoots over 50% for the field, so he's efficient. Good defender. So, Siakam, I'd, I'd be fine with that trade. I, I wouldn't like to give up a whole lot for Siakam, but I'd be cool with that. I still don't think that makes this team a championship contender. And the fact of the matter is, when you have a player like Steph at that level, Anything short of championship contention is an absolute failure. It is. It's why I ripped. It's why I ripped the Cavs for years before I even had a show. It's why I ripped the Lakers last year before they made those deals at the deadline. And that's the beauty of it too for Golden State. I know I've talked about the Warriors for twenty minutes, and I've got a couple more comments here. Uh, is that 
<laughs> as the, the good news for Golden State is that there's precedent for this. The Lakers were dead in the water last year. 13 seed. Made the moves. Rui Hachimura brought in D'Lo. Should have let D'Lo walk after the season, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, they traded Westbrook. They traded Patrick Beverly. Brought in these guys. Moved Lonnie Walker up in the rotation, and all of a sudden, got to the conference finals. Same could be said in Golden State, potentially. But this team is not close. It's not. Patrick, LeBron, oh, I didn't know this. Patrick uh, Patrick says, LeBron not speaking to the media after our loss versus Miami. Three-point shooting was atrocious. I could have made as many as they did, even with a bad shoulder and knees. That's that's the downside, of the biggest downside of the Lakers, they're shooting. The discontent with Coach Ham and players are only getting louder with each noise. And, and yes, and I saw the report. I think it was from Shams. Yeah, matter of fact, I'm almost certain it was from Shams the other day that said the Lakers locker room is, is starting to lose faith in Darvin Ham. And as the old saying goes, you can lose games, you cannot lose a locker room. And Darvin Ham's doing that. So we'll see what happens with the Lakers, with the Warriors. I'm just saying, a in this, it's not even a marriage. It's just a, a fling. You know, marriage, that's for a lifetime. Heck, dating, serious dating, courting. You know, that, that's, that's for a while. You, 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 you court uh, with the intention of potentially getting married to that person. A little fling, eh, lasts a little while, a month, two months, you know? Like Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, they've moved past the fling stage. They've been together for, what, six months? It's past the fling stage. Maybe it's getting more serious now. That's how I feel about Steph and LeBron. It's a fling. And if LeBron wants to stay in Golden State, I mean, I'm not going to be against that. I mean, LeBron can stay in Golden State as long as he wants. Okay, He can have a, a stake in the, an ownership stake if he wants. I, I don't care. But the, in all reality, it's probably going to be a two- to three-month, hopefully four-month, if they get to the finals, uh, relationship there. I'm just saying, you know. LeBron and Steph have kind of publicly flirted with playing the idea of playing with one another. LeBron in particular. I'm just saying. All right, let's talk Bucks and Spurs. Uh, TNT, you know, they 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 always say, listen, TNT always has these great uh double headers in the NBA, especially in these Thursday night games. The TNT knocks it out of the park. Well, they did last night, obviously, again with the the the, the Jokic buzzer beater against Golden State in the second game, but the first game was just as good, if not better. Because you had arguably the best player in the world, a guy I believe I a guy I believe to be number three in Giannis Antetokounmpo for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I've got him behind Jokic and Steph. Uh, the Bucks are playing the Spurs, led by the future great Victor Wembanyama, number one pick of the draft, highly touted rookie, highest touted rookie rather since LeBron James twenty years ago. And by the way, happy late birthday to Wemby. I believe he turned twenty yesterday or the day before. But uh, this game came down the wire. You're like, really? Milwaukee, championship contender out east. They can beat everybody except the Pacers, it seems. The Spurs are awful. They're, they came in this game 5-28. and 28, Not a good basketball team. and Struggling defensively, offensively. It seemed like they won't get the ball to Wimby at times. And Wimby on a bit of a minutes restriction. And as it turned out, the superstar of today and the superstar of tomorrow went back and forth at each other, up and down the floor. Milwaukee was able to pull away at the end of Trey Jones. Um or was it Trey Jones? Trey Jones, I believe it was, for the Spurs. Missed a wide-open three that would have tied it. Bucks ended up escaping San Antonio with a four-point victory. Oftentimes, we all know the saying, actions speak louder than words. And what Giannis, we we, we hear stars compliment the young guys. They're like, man, this guy's going to be some. Chris Middleton after the game uh, for the for the Bucks was talking about, hey, this kid is going to be a star in this league. He's going to be special. But what they show you through their actions, in this case, these are basketball players, so through their play, speaks volumes. 
and Giannis and Wimby went like that. Remember how LeBron and KD used to go back and forth in the finals, just at each other up and down the floor? There's a sign of respect in that. From the offensive player in that, I don't want to score on, you know, Kevin Durant will score on J.R. Smith or Kevin. No, no, no. I want to go against Braun. I want to go against the best. I want to go against the king. You know, Kevin Durant had an interview after he won the 2017 finals where he said, uh, he's the only guy that can look me eye to eye in the entire league. Look, Katie, Katie essentially, not verbatim, but he essentially said that, like, I want to go at him. And LeBron, on the other hand, is saying, I want to guard him. Now, and vice versa, obviously, I want to guard the best. That's what you saw from Giannis and Wimby. Giannis, and again, they play similar positions. Obviously, they're both, obviously, Giannis is the Greek freak. He's about 6'11. Wimby, what are we going to give him? 7'5, maybe 7'6 in shoes. Uh, so big guys, both forwards. From Giannis's perspective, he's like, oh, this young fella. He's, he's coming. He ain't, he ain't arrived yet. Still my league. It's still I'm still the best small forward in the game. This is, this is my league in that regard. And Wemby's saying, well, that's Giannis. That's a champion. That's a finals MVP. That's a two-time regular season MVP. That's a defensive player of the year. That guy's, that guy's revered. I'm going to go with him. I'm not going to go at Brooke Lopez. I'm not going to go at Chris Middleton or some of these other guys, Bobby Portis. I'm going to go at Giannis. Now, of course, Wimby is not Giannis yet. Giannis was amazing. 40, dropped 44, 14, and 7 on 19 of 28 for the field. By the way, two for three from three-point range. Giannis came into this game. Uh, I saw on TNT, uh, Giannis came into this game. He'd only made 12 threes on the season. He hit two in this game alone. We, we Obviously, we don't know Giannis for a, being a three-point shooter. Went two for three from that from three-point range. So maybe he's, maybe Giannis is even seeing Wimby knocking down these threes. And by the way, Victor Wimbanyama only two for eight. But he's seeing this big guy taking these threes like, I, I want to join in the fun. And he made two of three. Wimby, on the other hand, 10 for 18, so very efficient. 27 points, nine rebounds, uh, an assist uh, uh, to, to add to that. He also had not one, not two, not three, not four, five blocks on the night. You saw Wimby say, I want to go with the best. And Giannis say, this kid is coming. It's going to be this kid's league at some point. Just not yet. That's the ultimate sign of respect. Because let's be honest. I like Scoot Henderson. I think Scoot Henderson is going to be really good in this league. I, I think he's got all the potential in the world to do that. But when the Portland Trailblazers play the Golden State Warriors, Steph does not look at Scoot Henderson saying, this kid's going to take my place one day. There's a certain amount of respect that comes from the vet superstar guy looking at the kid. And you saw the body language. You saw, like, again, they, this game, and there's not going to be a whole lot of playoff games in San Antonio for a little bit because, they're again, they're 5-29. and 29. They're obviously in the rebuild stage. But that game felt like it had a little bit of a playoff atmosphere. It almost, you know, the people in New York are getting so mad at me for this. I'm not saying it was exactly like this New York, but it's kind of like those old-school battles at Madison Square Garden. Uh, or the, those games where a great player, MJ, Kobe, LeBron, somebody somebody came in at MSG, and it got to a point where the opposing crowd was almost like didn't care if the Knicks win. They just wanted to see this greatness. Obviously, Spurs fans were, were rooting for their Spurs to win the game, but they were just they got to a point where the crowd reactions, the oohs and the ahs, uh, Wemby throwing off the backboard and throwing it down, Giannis dunking on, on guys. I mean, Giannis had a, a dunk late game that actually gave the Bucks the lead, ended up essentially being the game-winning dunk. It got to a point where the fans are watching and saying, or not, not saying, but like in their minds thinking, okay, th we may be seeing something like this for a while. 
it was really cool. It, it, was, it was cool to see Wimby and Giannis go back and forth. And again, Wimby is thus far validating everything that I thought and, and, and what most thought that he was going to be. They were concerned about his height. I know there were some foot issues he had back in France. You know, all these components, he's going to put on weight because, you know, he's, he's a grown man. He's going to put on weight as time goes on. He's got a great medical staff in San Antonio. By the way, Wimby is averaging uh, uh, 19 and 10 on 45% shooting from the field. And by the way, Dropped 27 last night in 26 minutes. So Pop, so Pop and the and the Spurs front office and coaching staff's like, let's not work him to death. Let's 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 ease him in. This is is a new league. We're we're not out here trying to win a championship this year. We're nowhere near that. Let's slowly develop him into the superstar that we know he's capable of being. That's what you saw from Wimby. Thank God that Wimby didn't go to Charlotte, didn't go to Detroit, didn't go to some of these poorly run franchises. Go to San Antonio, and this dude's going to be really, really special. He's Oh, I cannot wait. Cannot wait to see what this kid's going to become. As for Giannis, that's about what we expect from Giannis. But the fact that those two continuously, from start to finish, at least when they were in the game, obviously, just went at each other's throats. It's great to see. It was like an old-school battle at the, at the playground. It was really cool. Patrick, Giannis is still one of the more even-killed superstars I've admired from afar. It's still his league, and Wimby will reach that stratosphere uh, before we know it, hashtag respect, hashtag Greek freak versus unicorn. Now, unicorn is accurate. We've never seen anything like Wimby. And Giannis is, of course, the Greek freak. And uh, I'll tell you what. See, I, I'll tell you this, though. I don't think it's Giannis's league yet. I still maintain I think it's LeBron's league with Steph as a close second. I think those two, uh, to me, when I think your league, I think face of the league. Braun's still the face of the NBA. I don't, I, the ratings reflect it. By the way, you, heck, an argument can be made if we're going by ratings that Steph is the face of the league. Because I think I saw a stat like 19 of the highest. Gosh, what was it? It was a stat last year that showed like, like a certain percentage of the highest rated games had Steph Curry in them. So Steph moves the needle. Uh, okay, this just came in. This is according to uh, uh, Sam Amico. Uh, I believe that's how you say his name, works for hoopswire.com. This just came in, according to him, that the Warriors are a dark horse team for Zach Levine. Hmm. I wouldn't be against that. I mean, Zach Levine, what's he averaging this year? 20, 24, 25 points a game? Put him with Steph, the way he can shoot the basketball, get his own shot. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to be mad. I mean, it depends on what the package would look like. Again, this is just speculation. This is just rumors. But, I mean, I wouldn't be, like, I'd be mad at that if the Warriors made a move like that. Zach is, what's the average in this year, if I can pull this up? Yeah, he's averaging 21 a game, but again, he's dealt with injuries this year. Uh, last year, it feels like he averaged, like, in the high 20s last year, if I can pull this up. Zach Levine averaged... Uh, yeah, we averaged yeah twenty four point eight points per game. His career high was a few years ago. He averaged twenty seven a game. I wouldn't be against that in Golden State. I'd at least call the Lakers about LeBron, though. At least call them, or call the Suns about Kevin Durant. It's uh, I'm down with either. I'm down with either. All right, let's. Uh, we have this. Okay, let's shift back to let's shift now to the NFL. It's crazy. It's an NFL playoff scenario type show. Very very excited. Top of the next hour. Top of hour number two. I'm gonna discuss all the playoff scenarios and all my predictions for all the games. And I will predict there there are three games 
this weekend that have literally no bearing whatsoever on the playoffs. It doesn't impact any of the teams trying to make it. There's three games. I'll get those predictions out of the way. Just move on. And then we will uh, get to the games that do matter, which is 13 of 16, which I'm very, very happy with. I know we all are. So the biggest game of the weekend features the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. It's game 272, Sunday night football, last game before we do get to the postseason a week from tomorrow. So the Bills going on the road, they are two and a half point favorites against Miami. I'll predict this game later on the show. But the one thing that I'm really confused about, can't really reconcile, reconcile with it, is this whole Buffalo Bills uh, Super Bowl contention discussion for this season. So the Bills, it's as simple as this. Now there's other games that'll factor in. Simple as this. Bills win this game, they get the two seed. But if they lose, if Pittsburgh wins, if Jacksonville wins, and I think another team has to win, but I know those two for certain, the Bills are out of the playoffs if they lose this game. Like, it's, it's that crazy. They could be the two seed in the conference, or they could be out entirely. Like, that's how much, that's how tight the AFC is right now. That's how much the pendulum could really swing. And so you look at that perspective from Buffalo, and a lot of folks are saying, hey, this could be the, the, the team that nobody wants to face in the AFC. The Vegas odds have them neck and neck with the Chiefs at number two to win the AFC. The Ravens, obviously, is the clear favorite in the conference in Vegas. I beg to differ. I think it's a two-team race in the AFC that I, in terms of teams I really, truly, from the bottom of my heart, trust. Love Cleveland's roster. Cleveland's defense is excellent. Don't trust Flacco. He's older. He's getting up there in age. And he's turned the ball over a lot. That's going to come back to bite him in the postseason. For Miami, can they really match up against the physical teams? The answer is probably no. And for Buffalo, they can match up with the physical teams. Unlike Cleveland, they have an elite quarterback, an awesome quarterback in Josh Allen, problem is, and this is a big one, they're hot and cold from week to week. As I say often on the show, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, college football, college basketball, whatever the case may be, if I have more questions than I do answers about your ability to contend, you're not a contender. Now give props to the Bills for getting themselves back into this uh, race to, to to make the playoffs. This four-game winning streak, they run the football incredibly effectively with James Cook to the point that James Cook actually just made the Pro Bowl the other day, and deservedly so. James Cook has had an excellent season. But Stephon Diggs hasn't really been the mix the last eight games or so. The defense has been fine, far from special, and Sean McDermott is a defensive coach. And Josh Allen, who many argued should have made the Pro Bowl over Patrick Mahomes. Are you sure? Because uh, if I look at the numbers here, uh, Josh Allen was not a Pro Bowl quarterback. Completion percentage, 12th. Pass yards per game, 10th. Yards per pass, 10th. Pass touchdowns, tied for 7th in the league. Has the second most interceptions with 16. The 20th best touchdown to interception ratio. And the 16th best pass rating. Doesn't sound like a Pro Bowler to me. That doesn't change my opinion that Josh is still a remarkable talent. But... Aren't you kind of when you're watching the Bills, regardless of how you th how you think about them, just be honest with yourself for a second. When you're watching the Bills in a close game, isn't it kind of between your hands a little bit? You're like, oh gosh, don't blow this. Oh, thank God they barely survived Easton Stick and the Chargers. Oh, thank God they barely survived Bailey Zappi and the Patriots at home with Zappi throwing three picks in the game. So I don't trust this Bills team. They're not a Super Bowl contender. Obviously, if they lose this game, they could be out, depending on what happens with my Steelers and with the Jaguars this weekend. 
So they could be out entirely. Even if they win, even if they're the two seed, don't buy them. Could still see them losing to the seven seed. Regardless who that who that is, I could see them losing to the seven seed. Whether it's the Steelers or the, the Texans or anybody else who might sneak into the playoffs. Don't trust them. Because the fact of the matter is, all through this season, up and down, up and down, all over the place, roller coaster. We can just do a quick quick recap. Face the Jets in a game that's good, that's well known for Aaron Rodgers going down four plays into the year, and they lost to Zach Wilson. Why? Because Josh Allen turned the ball over four times. Well, week two blew out the, the Raiders. Week three blew out the Commanders. Week four one of the best impre- most impressive performance of the season when the Dolphins were riding high off a seventy burger. Buffalo said, yeah, you're going to score 20 this weekend. We're going to score 48, and we're going to be riding into week five happy. And then they lose to the Jaguars in London. And then they come back, and by the, I mean, the skin of their teeth at the goal line, survive the New York Giants with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. Then they go to Foxborough and lose to Mac Jones. Then they come back home and barely survive a less talented Buccaneers team. Matter of fact, if Chris Godwin simply turns around on a perfect Hail Mary thrown by Baker Mayfield, Buccaneers win that game. They go to Cincinnati, and they lose, and Burrow outplays Allen. And they come back home, and they blow it situationally with the special teams. Denver beats them in a walk-off field goal after they missed the field goal with the 12 men on the field. Then they come back home. Offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey's been fired. Joe Brady comes in, and they blow out the Jets. Who hasn't? They go to Philly. Losing a walk-off field. I'm sorry, losing a walk-off touchdown to, uh, with Jalen Hurts. Defense didn't show up to the party despite the offense playing pretty close to a perfect game. Then they go to Kansas City, and there's the controversy there at Arrowhead. There's the Kadarius Tony play, and Chiefs fans were mad about it. Mahomes was very mad about it. And there's that the whole kerfuffle, if you will. Bills barely escape out of that. Then they had the game, second time this season, where they played a good team or a great team and absolutely humiliated them. Dallas walks into Buffalo, and the Bills run all over them. And everybody's back in the Bills train. I said, wait just a second. They go to L.A. L.A. is in the Chargers, who really don't have a fan base. That's the one fan we saw in that Monday night game uh, back in week six. Shout out to her, by the way. And the Bills against Easton Stick at quarterback. Takes a walk-off field goal to beat the Chargers. Facing a Patriots team last week with Bailey Zappi at quarterback, who threw not one, not two, but three picks. That was a game with six minutes left. Josh Allen nearly gave the game away, which would have set up a potential Patriots game-winning touchdown inside of the last half of the fourth quarter. Does that sound like a Super Bowl contending team? Now, if the Bills win on Sunday, win the division, get the two seed, they'll feel great about themselves, and they should. After all the adversity they've been through this season, with their offensive coordinator, with the injuries to their defense, uh, with the controversy regarding their head coach, with their quarterback, Josh Allen, continuing his, his disturbing turnover pattern, if at the end of the day they look and they're like, yeah, but we're the second-best team in the conference by record, they should feel good about themselves. Does that mean we trust them over Baltimore or Kansas City? Are we sure we wouldn't take Cleveland to beat them? Wouldn't Pittsburgh kind of give him a little bit of trouble? C.J. Stroud in Houston? So this is not a Super Bowl contender. It's a good team with a great quarterback and a great receiver who seems disgruntled right now. I kind of get why he's not getting the football right now. And a defense that's uh, up and down. And an offense even more so. 
So I, I look at the Bills. I'll predict their game later. Win, lose, or draw. If they draw, I believe they get in. Uh, they are not contenders in any sense of the word. It'll be a fun game, though. I'm very excited about it. Miami gets humiliated by Baltimore. Uh, Dolphins are dealing with injuries, all kinds of injuries. Bradley Chubb's down. Jalen Waddell's down. Tua's beat up. We'll see. Patrick Brown in the comments. I was out on Buffalo after last season. It doesn't feel like as, as if they played well enough to be in title contention. Sunday will be all or nothing. In all likelihood, that'll be the case. Again, the Steelers game, we'll have to see. The Jaguars game, we'll have to see. That will kind of just determine where the Bills stand. But if, if nothing else, if nothing else, the Bills have will have prepared all week under the assumption this is for our season. This is essentially a playoff game for us. Win and we're in, lose and we're out. Unless they get some serious help from some other teams. So that'll be very fun to, to look at. All right, staying in the AFC East, though. I do want to transition to the New England Patriots, uh, who played the New York Jets on Sunday in Foxborough. Uh, Patriots, by the way, two-point favorites. I'll predict that game briefly, along with the other two that have no playoff significance. And this will 100,000% be Bill, Bill Belichick's last game as a Patriot coach. That This is it. Uh, I, I've talked often. And I was of the mindset, I was of the belief not to toot my own horn or run a victory lap because it's, I think we're all kind of on the same page by this point, four year, almost four years after the breakup, after the divorce, if you will, that uh, Brady deserved the bulk of the credit for what happened in New England during that dynasty. I don't think that's a controversial belief. It was, it was kind of 50-50 at the time. There was the Belichick, those on the Belichick side, those on the Brady side. And <laughs> after that first year in Tampa, it was like, yeah, it's Brady. It is Brady. It was like 90-10 Brady. Uh, Belichick deserves credit for those defenses. I've often called Belichick one of, if not the greatest defensive head coaches ever, or defensive coaches in general. What he did as a defensive coordinator with the Giants under Parcells, he was great. Had LT, everything. Be Belichick's an awesome defensive coach. Even this year, as bad of a year as it's been for the Patriots, defense has lost Matthew Judon, lost Christian Gonzalez, and still been pretty darn competitive. About middle of the pack in some categories, uh, upper half of the league in others in terms of points per, uh, points per game allowed, scoring defense turnovers, the whole bit. Uh, Russian defense, pass defense, so give the give Bill and the Patriots credit there. Reportedly, Belichick and Bob Kraft are going to have a meeting the day after the game on Monday, a day that's become, uh, I should say, affectionately known, but uh, known around, the, around NFL circles as Black Monday because a bunch of head coaches lose their job that day and people get cut, whatever the case may be. A lot of coaches get fired the day after the regular season ends. And there's potential that that could happen between Belichick and Kraft. What I believe, and I said this months ago, months ago, this had to be, I think this was after the Patriots lost to the Saints back in like week five, I think it was. I remember talking about this on my show back in October, and I'll say the same thing again today, that Belichick would finish the season. He was never going to be fired mid-year. Kraft wasn't going to do that. But Bill's going to walk into, into Kraft's office, and Kraft's going to say, Bill, it's been a great 24 years. We would love to keep you if you step back from the front office role and focus singularly on coaching. And given some of the reports out of New England from Tom Curran, from others, I don't think he'll do that. Because Belichick's the type of dude, he's very much a hands-on type of guy in terms of personnel. He's not going to want to step back. Sean Payton did. Sean Payton was a hands-on guy in New Orleans, but it worked. It worked. Belichick is in New England. 
He doesn't really have an eye for talent. He can coach that talent on the defensive side, that is. Folks, Belichick has not drafted a pro bowler in the first round since 2012. Dante Hightower. It's been that long. He's missed on virtually all of his first-round picks. By the way, the Patriots are one of, I believe, four teams this year to not have a single Pro Bowler in the Pro uh, in the Pro Bowl this year. I think the Packers are in there. The Panthers, who are the worst team in the sport, are on that list. Patriots do not have a single Pro Bowler. Not even a kicker, not even a special teamer. That That's on Bill. If the, if the Patriots had an, effect, an official GM, we'd be putting it on that guy. Belichick is the GM. It doesn't work. So my guess is Bill is not going to go with whatever Kraft says in terms of stepping back from the front office. And Kraft's going to say, okay, then we are going to, I say this in air quotes, mutually agree to part ways. Because Kraft doesn't want to embarrass Belichick. Kraft doesn't want to make him look bad. After all, he was the coach. Uh, He was the face along with Tom for the greatest dynasty in the history of the NFL. Like he's not going to want to embarrass the guy. Does it? You know, the fan base is going to give is going to give him his flowers. Brady's probably going to give him his flowers on the Let's Go podcast with Jim Gray. He's going to get tributes from New England, and all of it deserved. But it's time to move on. It, it, it doesn't work in a league that has pivoted and has shifted to being an offensive minded league. It's to being a quarterback minded league and a creative offensive coach. Minded league, as I talked about last week with the Browns and Kevin Stefanski, what he's done with Joe Flacco. Belichick is none of those things. He employs a lot of his his kids to the staff, a lot of former Patriot coaches to the staff. You know, Belichick once had a quote not that long ago, a few years ago. I think he told this to Urban Meyer, where he said, I want to coach my guys, my type of guys. You, you can't do that. You, you, that. you can't do that. You want to win, or you want to win your way. He's gotten stubborn. He's kind of rested on his more on his laurels. And Bill Belichick will be coaching his final game. I can guarantee you, guarantee you, given the sources, uh, what what guys like Tom Curran, against some of the best and brightest reporters in Boston and the New England area, have said, this is it. This is it. Belichick will be gone after that game against the Jets. Uh, wouldn't it be funny though? Because Bill has always been somewhat controversially, I should say very controversially, Bill has been the guy over the personnel department as sort of the de facto GM to be the guy to say, fire or not fire him, cut him a year early before the rest of the league catches on to the fact that he's not the same player anymore. I mean, he's cut guys before the Super Bowl. He's benched guys for the Super Bowl. Malcolm Butler, prime example. He's let go of Chandler Jones. He's let go of some star players, superstar players in some respects. And in some cases, many actually, with credit to Bill, has been proven right. J.C. Jackson's a prime example. J.C. Jackson was amazing in Foxborough. Patriots let him walk. He's been awful for the Chargers. He's gotten healthy scratches in L.A. with the Chargers. It's been a disaster. Bill saw that. Bill's a great defensive mind that nobody can question his football acumen in that regard. Nobody's going to take away from his legacy and what he did in New England with Brady and everybody else and with Kraft and the entire Patriots front office and, and, and organization roster but it's time to move on. And so he'll get his tributes. He'll get his flowers. All of it deserved. Bob Kraft's a guy, you know, he's listen. He's getting up there in age. He's like, I, I want to win now. He's one of those owners. He's, he's one of, he's, he falls the category of one of like my favorite group of owners, the go for it guys. Again, I mentioned Joe Lacob earlier. I mentioned Stan Kroenke with the Rams early. Like there are certain owners doesn't matter, but I will do whatever I got to do 
to put my team in the best position to win. Uh, George Steinbrenner, God rest his soul, with the Yankees back in the day. Stagnant owners and meddling owners drive me crazy. Bob Kraft is not that. And he's alluded to for years, hey, we, you know, we got to start winning at some point or there are going to need to be changes here in Foxborough. And I believe that will be the case. Patrick Brown in the comments says, and <laughs> I forgot about this, and they still have Whack Jones. <laughs> I forgot about that, Patrick, because he hasn't he hasn't played in so long. And they still have Whack Jones as his quarterback. Slack Wilson and Whack Jones should form a rap duo and call the call the album totally swacked out. Wow, that's 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 something else. Patrick, our grid and co-founder Barry Grant Jr. Uh, it, it took our grid and co-founder Barry Grant Jr. to realize Mac is whack. And it was simply beautiful. The coming to Jesus meeting and accepting whack for who he is was a Kodak moment. Yeah, he, he was on the show. Barry was a couple months ago. And uh, he, listen, he, he, had, he, had to, he had to fess up. He had to admit it. I'll never forget. And I don't, I don't reveal. I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't believe in, in revealing stuff that people send you, like texts, all that. That's supposed to be private. But Barry texted me week six. So the Patriots were playing the Raiders. He texted me week six. Mack had just thrown a, I mean, a terrible, terrible interception. Wasn't on the offensive line. Wasn't on the receiver. Ball wasn't, I mean, just a bad interception. And I, he texted me, I won't even pull up the text, but he texted me something like, I can't, or I give up, or I concede. Or I think it was, I concede. It's like, I'm proud of you, buddy. You can't, if you start lying about what your eyes are telling you, then you're delusional. If there's one thing I know about my man, Barry Grant Jr., shout out to him. He's not delusional. So there you go. Okay. Last topic before I move into NFL playoff uh, scenarios and predictions. Man, I cannot wait for this weekend. Tomorrow, Steelers, Ravens. Oh, it's going to be so good. Give me a blast. I did want to talk about Travis Kelsey. Uh, not for reasons you would think uh, in regards to the, the Taylor Swift thing, obviously. Um. But Travis Kelsey was talking on his podcast with, with Jason Kelsey. Uh, he was talking about Mike Tomlin. And Mike Tomlin, obviously, and notice I didn't even mention this on my show Monday. That was very intentional. That Mike Tomlin, with the win over the Seahawks this past Sunday, kept the Steelers in playoff contention, more importantly. But for him personally, it was his 17th consecutive non-losing season. That's the most ever to start a career in the NFL. Tomlin remains the only coach in the history of the NFL to not have a losing season in his career. Now, it's a remarkable achievement. It's something he should be commended on. I'm not sure that's really the standard in Pittsburgh anymore. I'll get to that in just a moment. Or maybe that is the standard. I'll get to that in just a moment. But Travis Kelsey uh, had some <laughs> had some words for, for those who were who were going after uh, uh, Mike Tomlin. So Jason Kelsey, they were talking about the Steelers and all that, and talking about Tomlin, and Jason Kelsey said, quote, they were talking about firing him, what, seven weeks ago? And Travis Kelsey responded, and I quote, the media's so dumb. Why do we do the media? Well, you're kind of part of the media, Travis. A <laughs> uh, bunch of jackasses, just a bunch of jackasses, just out here talking, bleeping nonsense, one of the best coaches the NFL's ever seen about to possibly get his 17th consecutive non-losing season. And Travis, we don't have the footage of that, but Travis seemed pretty irritated by that. He did not, he did not seem to like it very much that, that Mike Tomlin was supposedly on the hot seat. First of all, I don't believe Mike was ever on the hot seat this season. But I have said, it's my first year as a Steelers fan, so maybe I don't have the credibility, but nonetheless, 
that Mike Tomlin is a far better version of Bill Belichick. A far better version. In the sense that Tomlin has been stubborn to the current changes in the NFL from an offensive standpoint, from a quarterback standpoint. He still believes defense and running game. Well, when you draft as well as the Steelers do, and you give Tomlin in the front office a ton of credit for that, ton of credit. That's why he's, that's why Tomlin's over Belichick by a mile in that regard. Uh, the Steelers draft really good players. But when you have the running game that you have, when you draft as well as Pittsburgh does, and you draft as well as they do on the defensive end as well, yeah, you can be successful. When you have TJ Watt with you, best defensive player in the sport for all I know, it'll work. Good linebacking core, great secondary. When you have an offensive line that Tomlin and the coaches deserve credit for this, has developed, has looked better week in and week out, came in this season, it looked awful. Couldn't protect Kenny Pickett or whoever the quarterback was at any point this year at all. Couldn't block for Najee Harris, Jalen Warren. Now all of a sudden, they look pretty good. Kind of pushed Seattle around a little bit last week. We'll see if that continues against Baltimore, albeit their backups. But in today's NFL, the standard is not non-losing seasons. The standard is championships. And by the way, I would say with all due respect to Travis Kelsey, um, what you said about Mike Tomlin, my response is easy for you to say. Travis Kelsey's had the luxury of playing with not just one of the greatest coaches ever, Andy Reid, but one of the greatest offensive coaches ever. A guy who, regardless if Alex Smith was the quarterback or the great Patrick Mahomes was the quarterback, was going to find a way to get the ball in your hands. If nothing else, those Chiefs teams, like what was always the knock on those Chiefs teams before Mahomes got there? And even Mahomes' first MVP year uh, when they lost to the Patriots in the AFC title game, it's that, man, the offenses are amazing. Clock management's not great. Andy Reid is not great with the cold clock thing. And defensively, they can't stop a nosebleed. Like, they blew a lot of leads in those playoff games. Like, there was a point in time, I remember after 2017, they blew a 21-3 lead to the Titans. There was, like, legitimate talk. Is Andy Reid's job on the line? Like, that was, that was a discussion. Crazy discussion. It's hard to believe now, but that was, that was a thing. If Travis Kelsey played for the Steelers, would he be echoing that same... Same moniker? Because if they, if there's anything I know about Mike Tomlin, as great of a coach as he is, as much of a first bout Hall of Famer as he is, as great of a defensive mind that he is, we've seen a lot of infighting in the Steelers' locker room. Not that that's not common in the NFL, but it's gone public. George Pickens, Najee Harris, Kenny Pickett. A lot of, lot of drama in the Steelers' locker room, and that's not uncommon. There was drama with Antonio Brown. And with Le'Veon Bell and with Big Ben. This has slowly but surely, at least from the naked eye, appeared to be the Steelers' new culture. Is that they'll kind of just put up with anything. Now, props to Tom when he moved on from Antonio Brown when maybe not that many coaches would, and we saw what ended up happening with AB. But that's kind of become the new standard in Pittsburgh. Now, I do not believe, to, I, I've never at any point this season said Tomlin should have been fired after this year. Never, ever, ever, ever said that. However, if Mike continues to go with the things that he believes wins in the NFL, and by that I mean doesn't draft a quarterback or at least going after a quarterback, and the Steelers are right back in the same position next year, week 18, fighting for a playoff spot, nine wins, 10 wins, you move on. 
I mean, if there's any organization that knows how to find a head coach and keep him for a long time, it's Pittsburgh Steelers. They do it better than literally everybody. There was a time for Chuck Manole, and then there was a time for Bill Cower, and then there was a time for Mike Tomlin. If things are, if things continue to remain the same next year, it's time for somebody else. Since the Steelers' last playoff win in 2016, 2017, they went 13 and three and lost to Blake Bortles in the playoffs in the divisional round. The next year, the Steelers won, if, I, if memory serves me correct, eight, nine games, missed the playoffs. The next year, the Steelers won eight games, but hey, non losing record. The next year, they won 11 games, 12 games rather, started 11 0, went 12 and four. And then they gagged down the stretch and got blown out by the Browns in round one. In 2021, they won nine games. In 2022, they won nine games. Entering week 18, they've won, you guessed it, nine games. Is that the standard in Pittsburgh in, in, these days? Because it certainly appears to be. You know why that is? Mike Tomlin won't, won't understand. Doesn't seem to at this point. That, yeah, defense is important. Yes, you do need a at least a good defense. Like, Philly can't win the Super Bowl because their defense is terrible. You, you can't win a Super Bowl with a bad defense. You can get by with a middle-of-the-road one if you have that guy at quarterback and if you have creative play calling. If, this, if the Eagles defense had the Cowboys defense, above average, they'd be in a lot better situation than they are now, probably with an opportunity to clinch the NFC East if they hadn't already. Me, you know, if, this, if the Steelers had the Eagles offense, now the play calling in Philly is suspect, but would you take Jalen Hurts over Mason Rudolph? I certainly, certainly would. That's all I'm saying. So, Travis, I understand where you're coming from. I know we're all simpletons. <laughs> you know, to someone with the football acumen that you have. No question about that. But this notion that it's just crazy to think, you know, Maybe there is something better on the other side. I've heard wilder. Let's put it that way. If the Steelers do not draft, again, I'll put it this way in the simplest terms I can. If the Steelers don't draft a quarterback in 2024, they've shown, in particular the head coach has shown, they're not serious about winning. They're serious about maintaining a streak, a non-losing streak. And that's cute. It's fun. It's a media topic. It's not adding a number as the seventh Super Bowl trophy to that case in Pittsburgh. And I thought that was the standard. Love Coach Tomlin. If he doesn't adjust by next year and adapt to what today, what wins in today's NFL, you got to move on. You got to. Next year, not this year. Because if the Steelers don't win a playoff game this year, and that looks increasingly difficult. First of all, they got to get in. <laughs> they got to get in to even win, have a chance to win a playoff game, uh, wh which they have not done since Obama was president. Need I remind you? In his last days as president, but nonetheless, he's, uh, you know, uh, Barry Obama was still in office. Just saying, just throwing it out there because it, it it does need to be, it does need to be uh, pointed out. And I love Coach Tomlin. Love him. I think he's one of the great motivators. And if Mike wanted to go into media, uh, if he wanted to say, you know what, I'm done with this coaching thing, which I doubt he would do, and he's still young enough of an age, like he'll 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 get picked up by whoever wants him, and he should be picked up. 
But if he wants to say, you know what, I'm done with coaching, I want to go into media, he would excel at that. He would excel at it. Um, if I can pull up these three these three games real quick. Uh, here, okay, here we go. But yeah, love Coach Tomlin, but if things don't change by next year, you need, you need to move on. Okay, so we've got multiple games this weekend, multiples putting it nicely, 13 games this weekend that have playoff relevance and playoff significance in some way, shape, or form, whether it's seeding, uh, if you're already in the playoffs, whether it's trying to get in the playoffs, whether it's you're trying to win a division, and if you don't win the division, you're out of the playoffs, or you're trying to win the division, even though you're already in, but you'd like at least one home playoff game, that type of situation. There's plenty of scenarios regarding the NFL playoffs, but really quick, there's three games I have virtually. First, the Battle of Ohio, the Browns, the Bengals, Cleveland, sorry, Cincinnati is a seven-point favorite here at home. Again, briefly, we'll try and cover this as much uh, as quickly as possible because there's virtually no significance to this game. Uh, the Browns are locked into the five seed and are going to start Jeff Driscoll at quarterback. Now, Jeff Driscoll almost won a game last year. Kind of a mobile guy, sort of like a, almost like a wishbone offense type of quarterback. Nearly beat the Dallas Cowboys last season, so we know he's fully capable of coming in and scaring somebody, in particular with his legs more so than his arm. Cincinnati seems to be kind of done in the dumps. Uh, the Jamar Chase is dealing with, with this talking about contract stuff and T Higgins. Like it's just a weird locker room in Cincinnati. They know their season is over. So I think the Browns are actually going to come in. They've kind of owned Cincinnati over the last uh, de half decade or so, at least since Burrow has been there. Uh, so I'm going to give the Browns the win here. 22 to 20 over the Cincinnati Bengals. Quickly, let's look at our next game. It's the later in the day, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers. Chiefs are already locked into the three seed as the AFC West champions. The Chargers, obviously, a highly disappointing year at five and uh, five and 11. Uh, I assume Easton Stick will likely start again at quarterback. Uh, the only major storyline in this game for Kansas City is will Travis Kelsey get to 16 yards receiving in this game? 16 yards would make him uh, the first or extend his record as the first and only tight end to have eight. You, you heard that right. Eight straight uh, thousand yard receiving games. Uh, I think he'll get the record. I th or not get the record, extend his record, continue to dominate the NFL. He's obviously a first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the greatest ever in his position. But uh, I think the Chargers will come out uh, with the W in the end. Again, obviously, all backups in Kansas City. And the Chargers want to get one one nice win uh, before they go into the offseason and hopefully, for their sake, get Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Chargers win this game 19-16 to over the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, again, I saved the best for last for the games that mean nothing from a playoff perspective. Jets-Patriots. So... Patriots are in this game favored uh, minus two. By the way, Chargers were favored minus three and a half. Take Kansas City in the points. Uh, Patriots at home favored minus two. This will be Bill Belichick's final game. Hasn't been announced yet, but I promise you, it's Bill Belichick's last game as the Patriots head coach. If there's one thing we know about Bill Belichick, hates the Jets. And I do mean hates the Jets with all his heart and soul. His history says just that. Turned down the Jets, went to the Patriots, and the rest, as they say, is history. He got this guy by the name of Tom Brady to be his quarterback, and they they, they went on to be relatively successful uh, in many ways, shapes, and forms. But, listen, the Jets are coming in right now. Trevor Simeon is going to start quarterback. Bailey Zappi for the Patriots. I just have a hard, hard, hard time believing that as with the Jets season in the toilet, the Patriots as well, that Belichick is going to walk out of Foxborough with a loss to the Jets, something that has not happened since week 16 of 2015. 
Okay, Patriots have won 15 straight games against the Jets. No reason to believe that that will not continue. Patriots have actually played pretty hard the last few games. Uh, so I'll get the Patriots to W here. They will cover 20-15. to 15. Patriots win this game over the New York Jets. Again, everybody tell me, hey, why would the Patriots tank to get, to get Drake May or Michael Penix Jr.? Belichick don't care about that. If Belichick's not going to be there, he didn't care about that. He's going to get out of here with the win, out of Foxborough with the win, and the Patriots will win this one uh, 20 to 15 over the Jets. Okay, so that one to get through those games quickly. Those are the games that don't mean anything in regards to the playoff picture. But again, as I say on Bryce's Bleak Bet, you got to predict them all. And so now for the games that have all kinds of significance. I don't know why I just went Southern there, but or really Southern, but uh, I, I just did that. We got a lot of significance. Here we go. In the AFC. In the AFC, there are five teams whose playoff uh, significance, their playoff hopes are kind of up in the air right now. Uh, if I if I uh, read this correctly, in terms of division standings, in terms of their ability to to win their division and otherwise, uh, right now, they're the, the teams whose spot is not totally set in terms of whether they're in or not are the Steelers, Dolphins, Jaguars, Colts, Texans, and the Buffalo Bills. So let's look at the Bills' playoff chances right now. The Bills are in the playoffs with a tie against the Dolphins or a loss or tie from the Pittsburgh Steelers or a loss or a tie from the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Colts and the Texans to tie. They can win the AFC East by simply beating the Miami Dolphins. That is the Buffalo Bills' chances to make the playoffs. Let's look at the Houston Texans. If they get to get in the playoffs, they will have to beat the Indianapolis Colts. Or they could tie the Indianapolis Colts, hope for a Jacksonville loss, hope for a Steelers loss or tie. To win the AFC South, they will need to beat the Colts tomorrow and then hope for a Jacksonville Jaguars loss on Sunday. Speaking of those Indianapolis Colts who they're going to be playing, the Colts get in the playoffs with a win over the Houston Texans, uh, as well as a Jacksonville Jaguars loss. That should say Jacksonville Jaguars loss right there. Uh, they do get in the playoffs as well if they tie the Texans and get a Steelers loss or tie. They would clinch the AFC South by beating the Texans and hoping for a Jaguars loss or tie, or they tie the Houston Texans and hope for a Jacksonville Jaguars loss. Speaking of the Jaguars, let's look at them real quick. They get into the playoffs with a tie against the Titans, or a Steelers loss, a Broncos loss or tie, and the Texans and the Colts don't tie. So there's a winner in that game. There is no dead even score when it's all said and done. The Jaguars can win the AFC South simply by beating the Houston Texans. They can still win the AFC South if they tie. I'm sorry, if they beat the Tennessee Titans to win the AFC South. They can get in still by tying the Tennessee Titans and hope for a Texans and Colts tie. Let's look at the Miami Dolphins. Their playoff path is pretty simple because they're already in. The Dolphins are in the playoffs no matter what happens. To win the AFC East, simple as this. Beat the Bills or tie the Bills, and they are in the postseason as the AFC East champion, and they would be the two seed. Speaking of two seed, the Bills would win the AFC East there at the bottom if they beat the Miami Dolphins. They could also clinch a playoff spot by tying Miami or hoping for a Steelers loss or tie, or hoping for a Jacksonville Jaguars loss or tie, or hoping for an Indianapolis Colts tie in that football contest. There's no question about that. So all kinds of playoff scenarios regarding the AFC playoff picture. There's a lot more to get into that we've got for the NFC if we can load this here quickly, because simply put, it is going to be a crazy weekend uh, in regards to the NFL playoff picture. It is going to be nuts down the stretch. If I can pull this up, here we go. Shifting now. To the NFC, there are divisions that have not been won, such as the South, such as the East, for example. So, 
Let's look at the AFC, the NFC playoff picture with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Buccaneers would clinch the NFC South if they beat the Carolina Panthers. They can still get in if they tie the Carolina Panthers and hope for New Orleans Saints loss or tie. Speaking of the Saints, they can get into the playoffs if they beat the Falcons, get a Seahawks loss or tie, and get a Packers loss or tie. They can still get in by tying the Atlanta Falcons, getting a Seahawks loss, or and getting a Packers loss. They can win the NFC South. They can get a home playoff game as the four seed, leapfrog Tampa Bay. If they beat the Falcons and then hope for a Buccaneers loss or tie, or if they tie the Falcons and get a Buccaneers loss. Let's look at Atlanta briefly because Atlanta has only one. You carried that right, one path to the playoffs, and that is winning the NFC South. If they beat the New Orleans Saints and hope for a Tampa Bay Buccaneers loss. Shifting to the Minnesota Vikings, they got a couple avenues to get in the playoffs, but a lot's going to happen. They got to beat the Detroit Lions, hope for a Packers loss, hope for a Seahawks loss, and hope for a Buccaneers loss. They could also get in if they beat the Lions, get a Packers loss, get a Seahawks loss, and get a Saints loss. Therefore, if those uh, one of those two scenarios occur, the Minnesota Vikings would be in the postseason. Let's look right now at the Seattle Seahawks. Their path to the playoffs is if they beat the Cardinals and get a Packers loss or tie. They could also get in if they tie the Arizona Cardinals, if they get a Packers loss and a Buccaneers loss or tie. They could also get in if they tie the Arizona Cardinals, get a Packers loss, and get a Saints loss or tie to get in the postseason. Let's look at the Green Bay Packers. The Packers have a million playoff scenarios. You know what? We'll come back to that in just a moment. Let's look at the Philadelphia Eagles, who are already in the postseason, but they could still win the NFC East if they beat the New York Giants and hope for a Cowboys loss or tie, or if they tie the New York Giants and hope for a Dallas Cowboys loss. Speaking of the Dallas Cowboys, let's put them up here real quick. If the Cowboys beat the Commanders, they win the NFC East. They are the two seed in the conference. They can also win the NFC East if they tie the Washington Commanders and hope for a tie with the Philadelphia Eagles. Dallas can also get in the playoffs as the NFC East champion with a Philadelphia Eagles loss. Last but certainly not least, the Packers have a million scenarios in which to get into the playoffs. The simplest one is that they beat the Chicago Bears. If they beat the Bears at Lambeau Field, Green Bay is in the playoffs. They could also get in. If they tie the Chicago Bears, hope for a Seahawks loss or tie, and hope for a Saints loss or tie. They could also get in if they tie the Chicago Bears, hope for a Seahawks loss, and hope for a Buccaneers loss. They could also get in if they tie the Chicago Bears, hope for a Seahawks tie, and hope for a Tampa Bay Buccaneers loss or tie. They could also get in, believe it or not, if the Vikings lose or tie their game against Detroit with a Seahawks loss, with a Buccaneers loss. They could also get in, ladies and gentlemen, with a Vikings loss or tie, with a Seahawks loss, and with a New Orleans Saints loss. Got it? That all makes sense? <laughs> I did my best auctioneer impression there. That, that was, whew, here we go. So that's in the simplest terms. That's what we got for the postseason in terms of the different playoff scenarios in the AFC and in the NFC. So really the question becomes, okay, Bryson, you laid out the playoff scenarios. Well, uh, who gets in? Who gets in as the NFC's champion and the NFC South champion, the AFC South champion, the AFC East champion, which could have a 2C Bills team or a Bills team that missed the playoffs entirely? What happens? Well, I'm here to tell you, as I 
try as quickly as possible to uh, to get the to get the playoffs uh, in up in here. Okay, so let's get the playoff music right now back again. We got it. Here we go. So let's see how it all play out. It starts tomorrow in Baltimore, Maryland. My Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Baltimore Ravens. The Steelers on the road are three and a half point favorites against a Ravens team that has already locked up the number one seed in the conference. That obviously tells you, and the reports have said, Lamar Jackson is going to sit out. Odell Beckham Jr. is going to sit out. All the important players for the Baltimore Ravens are not going to play in this football game, obviously, because there is nothing to play for. They're the one seed. They accomplished as much as you can possibly accomplish in a regular season. For my Steelers, it's a very different story. They got to win this game in all likelihood. Again, the Steelers, as I detailed earlier, can still technically get in with the loss, but a ton of things would have to happen that are completely out of their control. If they win this game against the Ravens, a Bills loss puts them in. A Jaguars loss also puts them in the playoffs. So plenty of different scenarios in which the Steelers could get into the postseason. Three and a half point favorites. Here's what I know about Steelers and Ravens games. They're always close and they're always physical. I anticipate this will be more of the same. The Ravens backups, I assume Tyler Huntley will probably start at quarterback. I assume he's still there in Baltimore. I'm pretty sure he is. He's a perfect backup uh, for Lamar Jackson. John Harbaugh, everybody in that Ravens organization, it's going to be in Baltimore. So all those Ravens fans are going to not want to knock those sorry, good-for-nothing Steelers out of the playoff picture entirely, obviously, with things to come on Sunday. The Steelers know their scenario, know what they got to do, know what, what kind of business they got to take care of. And when it's all said and done, I believe my Pittsburgh Steelers will win this football game 24-17 to over the Baltimore Ravens to put themselves in a great position to get in the postseason with some help on Sunday. The Steelers will beat the Ravens 24 to 17 and they will cover the three and a half point spread let's look at the night game on saturday night tomorrow night which is basically a de facto playoff game afc south rivals and again obviously it's week 18 so these are all divisional games it is the houston texans coming to indianapolis to take on the colts it's as simple as this folks the winner of this game locks up a playoff spot and could potentially even win the division if the Jaguars lose on Sunday to the Tennessee Titans. So, Houston comes into this game. They're a one-point road favorite, I believe, if I could uh, get this confirmed 100%. Yes, the uh, I'm sorry, the Colts are a one-point favorite, so it's neck and neck. This could end up being a pick'em type of game, but the Colts are a one-point home favorite against the Houston Texans, and you understand why. Listen, Gardner Minshew's played well over the last few weeks. Uh, there's been some games where he struggled. He's looked like a backup. It is what it is. It happens with a guy of his caliber. He's obviously nothing. Uh, nobody's exactly going to mistake him for for a special player by any stretch of the imagination. But Shane Steichen, I think this game could be for Coach of the Year. Shane Steichen has done a mar- marvelous job with the Colts. D'Amico Ryan's done a marvelous job with the Houston Texans, putting them in a great position uh, to, uh, to to get to the uh, the postseason. Uh, this year. Both of these coaches have. However, this is Gardner Minshew at quarterback for the Colts. And it's C.J. Stroud who looked every bit like the C.J. Stroud last week against the Tennessee Titans. So, give me the Houston Texans in in this game. Not really much of an upset because the Colts are one-point favorites. But give me Houston plus one and two obviously went outright 27-20 over the Indianapolis Colts, which would mean the Texans are in the playoffs. They clinch a playoff spot and get in with a shot to get uh, the AFC South crown. Meanwhile, it was a valiant effort, but the Colts will be out of the postseason entirely. Indianapolis will miss the playoffs. Let's move on. We've got the uh, Detroit Lions hosting 
the Minnesota Vikings at home, the Lions at home. And this is a strange line to me. I did not get this for, for the life of me. But the Lions are only a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home. So, again, Minnesota needs to win this game. They need some help in order uh, to put themselves in a position to make it the postseason. Uh, obviously, Nick Mullins is going to start at quarterback. They tried the whole experiment with the kid from BYU in that game in that game last week against the Green Bay Packers. It didn't work out. It is what it is. It happens. Uh, you, you can't win them all, but especially when you do have a backup in the starting lineup, which the Vikings did. They bailed in the second half. They're just going to go with the vet, Nick Mullins, and hope they can make it happen. Listen, Detroit's defense has struggled for the vast majority of the season, but last week was a very uh, impressive effort against the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas. Obviously, a team in the Cowboys who dominates at home, scores almost 40 points a game at home, and the Lions held them to 20 and could have easily won that football game. So Detroit, Dan Campbell, everybody in Detroit is pissed off. There's billboards in Detroit saying the Lions should be 12-4. and four. Lions are mad. And if there's anything I know about a mad Detroit Lions team coached by Dan Campbell, they're not going to come up and show up and show out. Obviously, again, the Vikings need to win this game and get a lot of help. Detroit's going to sit up there and say, uh-uh, you ain't getting no help because you ain't winning the game entirely. Uh, I'm going to take, oh, there's the graphic there. I'm going to take the Detroit Lions to win this game 31-16, to cover the three-and-a-half-point spread. Detroit wins, gets to 12-5, and and there you go. Put that graphic back up. The Minnesota Vikings will be out of the playoffs entirely. Detroit wins 31 to 16 and Minnesota. I'm sorry to say it. You put up a valiant effort with the number of backup quarterbacks, but the Vikings will be out of the playoff picture. Let's move on to the a sorry, the NFC South. We've got the new Orleans saints taking on the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, the saints at home are a three point favorite in this football game. Uh, so essentially they're Vegas is saying neutral site. It would be a pick The saints are obviously not as great at home as they used to be with Drew Brees and Sean Payton losing Drew Brees and Sean Payton tends to do that to you. So I picked the saints to go nine and eight this season. Like obviously a win would put them right at that. And I thought they would win the NFC South, which they have a chance to do again, simply put in the simplest terms with all those playoff scenarios listed earlier. If they beat the Atlanta Falcons, get a Tampa Bay loss, the New Orleans Saints will be in the postseason as the four seed and as the NFC South champion. Atlanta needs to beat New Orleans and again themselves hope for a Tampa Bay loss. So the winner of this game hopes for the Buccaneers to lose to the awful Panthers, which we will get to a little bit later. But listen, Atlanta's dealt with, I wouldn't say quarterback carousel, really a quarterback back and forth. Really like a quarterback seesaw, if you will, between Desmond Ritter and between Taylor Heineke. It's been Derek Carr for the vast majority of the season with a little bit of Jameis Winston sprinkled in for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Alvin Kamara doesn't look like he's going to play in this game. This offense is is nothing short of unwatchable uh, when Alvin Kamara's out of a lineup. Derek Carr's had a down season, so you sort of factor that in as well. Yet and still... It's at home. I simply can't see Taylor Heineke or even if Desmond Ritter comes in at some point or another in this game. I can't see a scenario in which the Saints, given how they played last week, loses this game at home. So give me the New Orleans Saints to win this game. 23 tonight, team. Barely cover. Uh, this was almost the Bryson's Bleak bet game. Uh, I came that close, but I decided to back off of it because there's another game later that I feel even less confident about. But give me the Saints 23-19 over the Atlanta Falcons, which means the Atlanta Falcons are eliminated from postseason contention. The Falcons are out. The Saints have hope. The Saints win 23-19 to over the Atlanta Falcons. And obviously the Saints, after they win this game, if this game I'm about to talk about has not already concluded, will be watching on their TVs in the locker room or trying to get input from, from reporters in, uh, in New Orleans what the status of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Carolina Panthers game is at this particular junction in time. So uh, uh, Tampa Bay in this game, 
is favored, if I can pull this up here. Tampa Bay on the road, favored, minus four and a half over Carolina. An abysmal effort by the Panthers. They were simply nothing short of unwatchable last week and have been for the vast majority of the season, uh, losing last week against the uh, uh, against the Jacksonville Jaguars. With C.J. Beathard, nonetheless, at the quarterback position, or albeit with C.J. Beathard at the quarterback position for the for the for the for the, uh, for the Jaguars. But listen, Carolina's done a good job of, of playing with teams uh, okay defensively in some of their losses. Bryce Young's really struggled. There needs to be some serious systematic changes. And the owner, David Tepper, has got to stop throwing beer at fans. I mean, what are we doing here? It's freaking juvenile. As for Tampa Bay, uh, this season's played about just as well as they could have hoped. If you'd have told Buccaneers fans, hey, greatest, quarterback's ever gonna re- uh, greatest quarterback ever is going to retire, Baker Mayfield's going to come in and have arguably the best season of, your, of his career and your position to win the NFC South, you will take that in a bag of chips. You'll take that very, very happily. And obviously, Tampa Bay is in a great position to potentially win the NFC South simply by getting a victory on Sunday. I think it's actually going to be a little bit tighter than you think. Baker Mayfield is injured in this game, and that does certainly matter. I totally acknowledge that. But he's not injured enough to not play pretty well. So give me the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win this game. 24-12, they do cover the four-and-a-half-point spread. They do beat the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers have already locked up the the first overall pick for the Chicago Bears. We'll get into their game later with the Packers. Uh, But Tampa Bay wins 24-12 over Carolina. They clinch the AFC, I'm sorry, the NFC South title. There you go, Tampa Bay in the postseason, four years years in a row and three years in a row as the division champion. Tampa Bay wins this game 24-12 against the Carolina Panthers. If I can pull up some more graphics here uh, in just a moment, get the Jacksonville Jaguars game up here because that's a huge matchup in the AFC. All right, here we go. So, Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the Tennessee Titans in the beautiful city of Nashville, Tennessee. Love Nashville. Uh, Tennessee is a four-point dog at home. Jacksonville looks to be getting Trevor Lawrence back into the lineup. Listen, you guys know how I feel about Jacksonville over the last few weeks. Listen, I picked them to make the AFC title game and for Trevor to win league MVP. That obviously, uh, obviously Trevor's not going to win MVP. And then making the AFC title game, unless they get on some kind of crazy run, does not appear like it's going to come to pass. And it has been in large part due to serious, unbelievable quarterback mismanagement on the part of Trevor Lawrence in terms of his injury status. Trevor went down in that Bengals game. They decided to play him stupidly, I might add, against the Cleveland Browns, that physical defense. He got even more injured. Then he plays the week after against the Ravens. Not only gets more injured, is put in concussion protocol. Then plays the week after that against a physical Buccaneers defense. Hurts his shoulder, doesn't play against Carolina. Fortunately for him and the Jaguars and for their playoff hopes, they took care of the worst team in the league, the Panthers, as I believe the Buccaneers will on Sunday. But they got Tennessee. Now, Tennessee at home. It's a frisky team. It's a feisty team. It's a Mike Vrabel coach team in Nissan Stadium. I think it'll be a little dicey. I think Trevor still isn't fully healthy, but this is one of those games. Hey, it's a playoff game. We win, we're in. We lose. Season's essentially over. So, it's all said and done. I'll take the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'll take Trevor Lawrence. Come on. You think I'm, th- I'm just going to bail on Trevor entirely and the Jags are going to miss the playoffs? Are you kidding me? That ain't happening. Jacksonville Jaguars are going to win this game. They are going to clinch uh, the AFC South. If I can uh, if I can get that graphic pulled up here. Jacksonville wins again over Tennessee, 24 to 17. They will clinch, excuse me, they will clinch the AFC South. Get this graphic pulled up here. There you go. Jacksonville clinches the AFC South. They get the four seed, and they will be locked into a matchup at home next week against 
the Cleveland Browns. What a physical dogfight. Uh, I hate to use a Browns pun. A dogfight that that will be. It'll be a blast. Jacksonville wins 24-17 to 17 over Tennessee. Let's move on to our next matchup. What do we got next on the menu? Rams 49ers. Now, nothing will be clinched outside of just outside potentially playoff seating. Rams on the road. Our underdogs against San Francisco, the Niners, uh, in this game are favored minus four. So San Francisco, according to reports, looks like the Niners are going to play their starters. Uh, so that's not going to be a situation where, you know, they're going to, uh, you know, rest Brock Purdy, uh, rest George Kittle. And now the Niners have locked up the number one seed in the conference. They did so in that win against the Commanders and being assisted by their division rival Cardinals against the Philadelphia Eagles. So uh, definitely the Niners have, have a lot to be thankful for uh, in that regard. But... I think Brock Purdy's going to play. I think Brock Purdy's going to play relatively well. And the bad news for the Rams, listen, well, the good news is they're in the playoffs, okay? They've clinched the playoff spot last week with that last-second win against the New York Giants. Uh, the bad news is Carson Wentz is starting at quarterback. And uh, listen, I don't blame them for just for resting Matthew Stafford. That's a veteran quarterback who's dealt with injuries the last few years. They're going to give Matthew Stafford the day off, let him get healthy, let him get right, get ready to go. If there's anything we know about Kyle Shannon, it does not matter who the quarterback is for his team. And it doesn't matter who the quarterback is for Sean McVay. He's going to get the W because, simply put, he owns Sean McVay in general. So give me the 49ers to win this game 30-20 to 20 over the Los Angeles Rams. Rams will fall to 9-8, but again, they are still in the playoffs. They will await other games to see what their seeding will be. They will either be the 6th seed or the 7th seed, but rest assured, Rams fans, you're in the playoffs. Bad news is Carson Wentz and his indecisiveness is going to start at the quarterback position. Niners will take care of business against the Rams defense that can be up and down and struggled a little bit in the last few weeks. Niners win this game 30-20 to 20 over the Los Angeles Rams and obviously pad their record to, I guess, yeah, 13-4. and four. Uh, That's just 13-4 there. I should say 12-4. and four. I apologize for that little typo. I will fix that later on in the show. But Niners beat the, uh, the Rams 30-20. to 20. All right, moving on to our next matchup to the NFC East. New York Giants, Philadelphia Eagles in the Meadowlands. So Philadelphia in this game is a five-point favorite against the Giants. If I memory serves me correctly there, yes, five-point throw favorites against the Giants. Listen, Philadelphia's season is absolutely gone and it cratered down over the last month and a half or so. Philadelphia started 10-1, and feeling good about themselves. They were able to overcome that awful defense. Well, Jalen Hurts, this offense has really struggled over the last few weeks. I will give Jalen, honest to God, I'll give Jalen the injury, not pass, or not excuse, but pass, because listen, injuries do factor in the NFL. There's no question about that. And Jalen simply does not look right physically uh, right now. But five points. On the road against a Giants team that has five-and-a-half-point underdogs against a much hotter Rams team, and frankly, for my money, better Rams team, where a walk-off field goal from Mason Crosby away from beating the Rams and putting the Rams in a must-win situation this week. So you're telling me I get five points for the Giants at home with Brian Dables, the coach, with Tyrod Taylor at the quarterback position, who almost beat the Eagles on Christmas Eve two weeks ago. Uh, I think I'll take that in a bag of chips because you simply put, if you look at Philadelphia uh, in this stretch ever since the uh, Buffalo Bills game, I'm sorry, since the since the 49ers game, Eagles were three-point dogs. Let's just say they didn't cover. Uh, they went to Dallas and the Cowboys, if I can pull this up and get this correct, the Cowboys were three-and-a-half-point favorites. Philadelphia did not cover that one either. Philadelphia went to Seattle against backup Drew Locke. The Eagles were four-and-a-half-point uh, favorites in that game. Not only did not cover, they lost. Then they played the New York Giants at home on Christmas. They were double-digit favorites, one by eight. Played the Cardinals at home, were double-digit favorites, lost by four. Uh, did I say they won by eight against the Giants? They won by eight and lost by four to the Arizona Cardinals. So... 
Philadelphia's in a free fall. There's no question about that. They're in a bad spot in regards to playoff contention and Super Bowl, not playoff contention because they're in the playoffs, but Super Bowl contention in the NFC. But when it's all said and done, when the rubber needs to meet the road, it is, after all, my upset of the week. Give me the New York Giants over the Philadelphia Eagles straight up. Give me the points and give me the straight up W. Giants win 27 to 26 over the Philadelphia Eagles. Listen, Tyrod Taylor's not going to turn the ball over. Tyrod Taylor and Jalen Hyatt out of Tennessee and, and Saquon Barkley and those guys are going to carve up this Eagles defense. Eagles are going to lose. The, well, that be their fifth loss in their last six games. There you go. Five losses in six games for Philadelphia, sending them into the postseason in a matchup against Baker and the Bucks. Giants win, end their season on a high note uh, with a little bit of momentum moving into 2024. Giants win this game in my upset of the week straight up. 27-26 to over the Philadelphia Eagles. So there you go. That means the Dallas Cowboys, if we can pull up this, will win the NFC East. But for Dallas... What does that mean for them in terms of the in, in terms of playoff seating? Well, the Dallas Cowboys are massive, biggest favorites of the weekend, massive favorites in Washington against the Commanders. Uh, Dallas favored uh, at home uh, on the road minus thirteen. Now we know the Cowboys struggle a little bit on the road, only three and five. Here's who they don't struggle against, or at least they have it in the one match of the season: the Washington Commanders. Dak Prescott accounted for five touchdowns against Washington on Thanksgiving Day in a, in a forty-five to ten win over the Commanders, who are in a much better situation if they actually lose the game. Now, Ron Rivera, that will not be his mindset. This will likely be Rivera's last game coaching the Commanders, and obviously they'll have the organizational overhaul in terms of the coaching staff, and in some aspects, not many, because I like some of the players they have, but in some respects of the roster in Washington. Dallas knows they got to win this game. Obviously, they won't be scoreboard watching in Philadelphia. Philadelphia's favorite for a reason. I understand that. Still picking the Giants to win the division. I'm sorry, still, still picking the Giants to beat the Eagles in that contest, but... At the end of the day, the Dallas Cowboys will win. 38 to 20. Listen, 13 points is a lot. It gives me some cause for pause. I get it. I hesitate ever so slightly, but I will take the Dallas Cowboys. 38 to 20. Dak Prescott throws five tutties. Let's do it that way. Dak Prescott, five touchdown passes, which would tie those five touchdowns would tie Dak at the top of Cowboys franchise history for most touchdown passes in a single season. Rain Dakota Prescott will get it done once again. Real quick comment here by Patrick. I'm not a fan of these double-digit point spreads. Washington is sitting there with veteran players, from my understanding. Win and take care of business regardless. Yeah, listen, youth and inexperience for Washington. Fresh legs, that, that does factor in. There's no question about that. But ultimately, when it's all said and done, give me the Cowboys to win this football game uh, against the Commanders. All right, moving on to the Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders. Denver, again, you're like, why are you saying Broncos and Raiders? Well, there's some teams that could use a Denver loss. Uh, or a Denver win in some respects in order to get into the postseason. The Denver Broncos in this football game. If I could just pull this up here. Broncos are three-point three uh, dogs in Vegas. So Jarrett Stidham starting at quarterback for Denver. Obviously, Russell Wilson was benched a couple of weeks ago. Listen, for the Raiders, Antonio Pierce, interim head coach, has done a really solid job. He is coaching to keep his job long-term with the Raiders. Because, you know, Vegas is going to be aggressive after Jim Harbaugh, after some other potential candidates. Antonio Pierce is saying, no, 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 I'm your guy. And he said the other day, or I think it was today, we're playing all of our guys. We're playing all our starters to go for a W to end the season the way we want to on the right note, especially against the division rival Denver Broncos team. The Raiders defense, since Antonio Pierce took over, has played much better as of late. 
They've held some of the better offenses in the league uh, to some of their lowest point totals of the season. Denver's got a good defense as well. And listen, it's Aiden O'Connell versus Jarrett Stidham. You, listen, you pick and choose. I don't care. I think the Raiders are going to come out passionate. They love their new head coach, their interim head coach. They're going to fight for their guy to get the, the long-term head coaching job. So I will take the Raiders 24-14 to over the Denver Broncos. Raiders win 24-14 to over Denver. Put themselves in a big-time position uh, to retain him next season. So give me the Raiders 24-14 to over the Denver Broncos. Broncos. If I can pull up a couple of other graphics here in regards to the NFC playoffs, because it is going to be a doozy in regards to the Seattle Seahawks and the Green Bay Packers fighting for that number seven seed and the Saints, obviously, as well with an opportunity. Seahawks on the road in Arizona. They are three-point favorites against the Cardinals, obviously against a Cardinals team that just is coming off of an upset against the Philadelphia Eagles. This is a dicey one. I ain't even gonna. I ain't gonna lie, y'all. It's a dicey one because the simple fact that Arizona has run the football pretty effectively with James Conner and with Kyler Murray back in the starting lineup as their quarterback. Seattle, on the other hand, we saw what how they must they struggled against my Steelers last week. The Steelers rushing for about 200, uh, 200 yards. Najee Harris and Jalen Warren went off in that game as my Steelers, by the way, continue to wait whether or not they'll get into the postseason or not. But Seattle, in the last half of the season, has struggled to stop the run. Arizona has run the football very effectively. I simply think it's a Pete Carroll coach team. He knows what's on the line. Last year, I think I, I think I remember picking the Rams to end the Seahawks season. The Seahawks, in that point, needed to beat Baker Mayfield of all guys and the Rams and hope for uh, you know some help in the Packers and Lions game. They won their game against the Rams. They got some help from the Dan Campbell uh, fighting, uh, uh, fighting, biting kneecaps and the Detroit Lions, who upset Green Bay and Seattle got in as the seventh seed. I think Green Bay, I'm sorry, I think uh, uh, Seattle is going to take care of business in Arizona. Division rivalry, I think it's going to be a close game, but ultimately I will take the Seahawks in kind of a thriller. I think this will be one of the better games of Week 18. It'll be a, it'll be a dandy nonetheless, and no question about that. Give me the Seahawks, though, 23, sorry, 27 to 23 over the Arizona Cardinals, which means the Seahawks are very much alive with help for that number seven seed in the NFC, and the Saints are done. The New Orleans Saints will therefore be eliminated from playoff contention. And New Orleans, take my advice. Fire Dennis Allen. What are we doing? What are we doing? Saints will miss the playoffs. That game will knock them out. The Seahawks will be very much alive. Now for the one I'm very interested to see and look at and see what we got up in here. It's the Green Bay Packers who host the Chicago Bears. This, if you love football, this is a game for you. Now, now Chicago's out of the playoffs. Chicago got it mathematically eliminated last week. As crazy it is, if you look at the standings, the Bears are actually over the Falcons, who still have a chance due to the fact that they still uh, are playing the, the terrible uh, NFC South. But Justin Fields and the Bears have won four of their last five. The Packers, after starting three and six, are sitting here at eight and eight with a chance to get into the postseason. Five of their last seven games, they have gotten the W. Here's what I'm looking at. So Chicago's defense over the last five games, in this five-game stretch, has played exceedingly well. So, uh, again, if we go back to the Vikings game, uh, they held Dobbs, my man Space Dobbs, and the Vikings to 10 points. They held the explosive Lions offense to 13 points. They held the Browns to 20, the Joe Flacco Browns. So, hey, there you go. Impressive job by Cleveland. Held the Cardinals, who scored 35 on the Eagles, to 16. And then they held Atlanta with their tumultuous quarterback situation. They held the Atlanta Falcons to 
to 17 points. So Chicago's played well as of late. Here's the problem, though. Green Bay's offense has played very well as of late in this stretch. If you look at the Packers, uh, since they got off to that rough 3-6 and six start, if you look at the Packers uh, in that stretch, okay, they beat the L.A. Chargers, and uh, Jordan Love had a pass rating over 100. They went into Detroit on Thanksgiving Day, outplayed the Lions. It was 29-22, to 22, uh, but ultimately that score was did not indicate how much the Packers dominated. The Lions got a late touchdown. Jordan Love had three touchdown passes. Played very well. Then played Kansas City, and Jordan Love outdueled the best in the game, Patrick Mahomes. The Packers got a win there. Then they went to New York, and 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 Danny DeVito, I'm sorry, Tommy DeVito outdueled Jordan Love, and the Giants beat the Packers. And then the Buccaneers went to Lambeau and beat the Packers and carved up what was a, or is a very bad defense, which will get Jair Alexander this week. But the Packers took care of business, went on the road, barely survived Carolina, but nonetheless beat Carolina. And then they went to Minnesota and shellacked the Minnesota Vikings took care of business, did what they were, uh, excuse me, did what they were supposed to do to put themselves in this position where they're in the exact same spot they were in a year ago. If the Packers win this game against the hated Chicago Bears, a team that they have owned over the better part of the last decade plus, they would be in the postseason. If the Bears win, then the Seahawks are in the postseason. So, How's it going to turn out? How's it going to look? How's the playoff picture in the NFC going to shape itself out when that game concludes? I'll tell you exactly how it's going to how it's going to play itself out. The Bears are going into Green Bay and doing exactly what the Detroit Lions did a year ago. Chicago plus three and straight up 28 to 23 over the Green Bay Packers, knocking Green Bay out of the playoffs. They are eliminated. Goodbye. Cheesehead Ozzy will be in the studio on Monday evening. And the Seahawks, again, by the skin of their teeth, with some help from a team going to Lambeau, the Seahawks will be in the postseason as the NFC's seventh seed. So the Packers will be out of the playoffs. The NFC playoff picture will be essentially set. Now we got one more game. We got one more game. By the way, that was the, the Bryce's Bleak Bet game. I am so, I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. I did not mention Bryce's Bleak Bet. Bryson's Bleak Bet is Seahawks Cardinals. I'm so sorry I didn't bring that up. Seahawks Cardinals is Bryce's Bleak Bet. It is now time for my favorite segment of the week. And it's the one I do with great pride and take a lot of, uh, put a lot into this. It is now time for. Yeah, if I were a betting man. I'm looking at the game of Week 18 and arguably the game of the NFL season. It's the Buffalo Bills. It's the Miami Dolphins from Miami, Florida. So the Dolphins are three. Sorry, now this has gone down to two and a half point underdogs at home. to A Buffalo Bills team that has played really good football as of late. A Buffalo Bills team that has won four straight games in large part due to the running game. In large part because Josh Allen by and large, has played relatively clean football, at least by his standards. So that's that's not a concern for them. So how's it going to turn out? Because the Dolphins are dealing with a ton of injuries. The Dolphins are missing Bradley Chubb, who unfortunately tore his ACL and is gone for the season. The Dolphins likely will not have Jalen Waddell for this contest. There's a lot of scenarios that could play themselves out. The Bills will be in position due to the games that played out tomorrow, Saturday, and that day, Sunday... The Bills will be on the brink. Either they will be the two seed or they will miss the playoffs. And we know Josh Allen 
has owned the Dolphins. He's won nine of his last 10 games against Miami. He's played very, very well against this football team. For the Dolphins, they're reeling. They struggle against physical teams. But if there's one thing that I've learned in terms of, again, that is why, that is exactly why for a second time this segment is called If I Were a Batman, If I Bet, if there's one thing I have learned when I've looked at these games over the last few years since I started the show back in 2019, it's that when a good team gets humiliated on national TV, now the game against Baltimore wasn't on primetime, but nonetheless, a lot of people were watching that game. That game was essentially to decide the one seed. And the Dolphins got punked. The Dolphins got embarrassed. The Dolphins have been ripped in the media all week long, and they've heard it. Players hear the noise. Don't let them tell you otherwise. The Bills, on the other hand, have been have been told they're the scariest team in the AFC, despite the fact that they are barely escaping quarterbacks such as Easton Stick and Bailey Zappi. So in an upset, and if I were a bet man, give me the Dolphins plus two and a half, and give me the Dolphins straight up. Miami wins this game, 31 to 23. The Bills defense is due for a bad one. They're due for a bad one. The Bills offense is due for an up and down one. They're going to ask Josh Allen to be Superman. Tua Tungavailoa is going to finally get a big, big, big win against this Bills team. 31 to 23 at first. Like kind of notable win for Tua. 31 to 23. The Dolphins will win this game straight up. Which means the Dolphins will have clinched the AFC East. The Bills will be out of the playoffs entirely, as I predicted before the season started. And most importantly for me, the Pittsburgh Steelers will be in the postseason as the seven seed going to Miami to take on the Dolphins. We will give the Miami Dolphins their love and their props and all of our love and adoration. And then we will play them next week in the Sunshine State. Dolphins, 31, Bills, 23, and that, my friends, is how the playoffs will look. So if you're a little confused, like, okay, well, how exactly is it going to look? Glad you asked. We got a graphic for that, too. In the AFC, this is how the playoff picture will look on Monday. The Ravens is the one seed. You see them right there. We already knew that coming into the week. They already clinched it. The Dolphins will win the game against Buffalo and be the two seed as the AFC East champion. The Chiefs have already been locked into number three. We knew that coming in. They won the AFC West last week. They locked in the three seed last week. So they're they're the three seed. The Jaguars will be the four seed because they will beat the Tennessee Titans, clinch the AFC South for the second year in a row. Cleveland already locked in the five seed. So again, the game against Cincinnati means nothing for them. Win, lose, or draw, they are the five seed. The Texans will beat the Colts tomorrow and they will be the sixth seed. They will lock up a spot in the playoffs and ultimately be the sixth seed. And my Pittsburgh Steelers, with the win over Baltimore tomorrow, and with a Dolphins win against Buffalo on Sunday Night Football, my Pittsburgh Steelers will be in the playoffs as the seventh seed. So you'll have the matchups. Again, Ravens with the first round bye. You'll have Dolphins versus Pittsburgh. That'll be a fun one. Those teams have had some big playoff battles in, in years past. The Chiefs will play the Texans. I think it's a a very favorable matchup from an experience standpoint for Kansas City, Uh, although the coaching matchup will be fun. Offensive coach Andy Reid versus defensive coach D'Amico Ryans. And then you'll have Jacksonville hosting Cleveland. Now, Cleveland beat Jacksonville, but that game was in Cleveland uh, not too long ago, a few weeks ago, about three, four weeks ago. So those will be your playoff matchups in the AFC. In the NFC, we already knew San Francisco was the one seed. That got locked up. Uh, last week with that win over Washington and the loss by Philly. So Niners one seed, they get to rest, kick their feet up, and take the week off. The Cowboys will win the NFC East by beating Washington on Sunday. They will be the two seed. Detroit 
due to the Dallas uh, win, will be the three seed. They already clinched the NFC North two weeks ago. Tampa Bay will beat Carolina on Sunday. They will be the four seed and the NFC South champion and get a home playoff game. Philadelphia, after starting 10-1 and and being the one seed, will plummet to the five seed, which they sit here today, and they will look be in exactly that spot come Monday morning, really Sunday afternoon, if we're being uh, honest and exact. Eagles will be the five seed. The Rams, kind of the shock of the NFL to a certain degree, will be the sixth seed, and they will get in the playoffs. They'll obviously, I think they'll lose to, to the 49ers, but due to the Packers' loss, we'll stay there as the sixth seed. And the Seahawks, because of a divisional win and a Packers home loss, how listen, history often repeats itself. The Seahawks, not the Saints, not the Packers, the Seahawks will be the seven seed in the NFC. So your playoff matchups will be as follows Dallas will host Seattle. Again, those two teams played on Thursday night football a couple months ago. That was a fun, fun matchup. Dak and Geno Smith going at it should be a fun playoff game. Detroit, how good will this be, ladies and gentlemen? Detroit, Matthew Stafford's old team will host Los Angeles, Matthew Stafford's current team, in the playoffs. You couldn't have written a, written, written a script better than this. So it'll be Lions versus Rams. That might be the game of wildcard weekend for all I care. And finally, Tampa Bay as the four seed will host Philadelphia at the five seed. A Buccaneers team feeling great about themselves. An Eagles team, eh, not so much. So there's your playoff uh, seeding in the AFC and in the NFC. There you go. Be a fun weekend. Do we have any comments here? Uh, Patrick Brown says if the Eagles lose Sunday afternoon, it'll be two wins for Cowboys fans. It will. Now, if the Eagles lose, Dallas doesn't have to beat Washington, but I believe if Dallas loses and Detroit wins, then Dallas will drop to the three seed. So, eh, not great. Not great. But Dallas will clinch the number two seed, which will go a very long way in doing what I believe that they will do and predict them to do before the season, which is win the NFC. I predict them to win the NFC, lose the Super Bowl to the Chiefs, and uh, I am not moving off of that pick right now. I, I Listen, pick integrity is a, a big thing to me. A big thing to me. I will say this, though, and then we'll get out of here. In the event Dallas loses, my Super Bowl pick is locked up. I'm no, not moving off of that because I don't believe in changing your pick. No, your pick is your pick. You make the pick for the season, that's your pick. But I will no longer believe in my pick. I will be out on the Cowboys. But they won't lose on Sunday. Dak owns the Commanders. He'll take care of business. All right. All that said, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by. As always, be sure to catch Carving Up Live. What a show we'll have on Monday. On Monday night at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. Also, be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. It helps the channel grow exponentially. We're getting pretty close to 700 subscribers here on Carving It Up. We're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58, which is February the 11th. So if you have subscribed, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that. And all of us here at Carving It Up appreciate that. Uh, tell your friends about it. Tell your family about it. Tell everybody you know about it to subscribe to Carving It Up. We're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by the Super Bowl. We're up getting close to 700. So very, very excited about that. If you have not subscribed... Just takes a couple seconds. Hit that big red subscribe button down there. Red one says subscribe. Hit it, and you're part of the Carving It Up family. Very, very, very exciting. All right, I'll see you all on Monday night. Oh, by the way, national title game. 
Michigan, Washington, going to predict that game on Monday and obviously react to all the craziness around the National Football League this weekend. This is week 18. Ugh. Bel- I mean, who knows? Belichick might not be the Patriots coach by Monday night's show. Man, it's going to be a big one. You'll want to tune in at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. By the way, speaking of which, go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. And by the way, check out our Grid Network website. You've seen him in the comments here, Patrick Brown. Uh, writes for the Grid Network, writes some great pieces, so check his stuff out and check out our audio content anywhere you get your podcasts as well as on YouTube. Please go subscribe to the Grid Network. Canada, I'd say there's certain weekends in sports, man. You're just juiced up to get ready to uh, get ready to go. So I'll see y'all then. Lots going to happen this weekend, and the Steelers will be in the playoffs. You heard it here first. See y'all then. Stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health, and please, 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 I beg of you, contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence here in America. Uh, we just had another shooting the other day. That's damn the mood, but we just had one the other day. We have got to address this problem, not get numb to this. Really passionate about this issue, so let's do what we can. Let's make our voices heard, and let's, let's change this problem as soon as we possibly can to save as many lives as we can. This this means a lot to me, so let's let's go do that. Great weekend of NFL. College football national title game predictions on Monday. Belichick may be gone Monday. We shall see. See y'all then. Stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. At least I hope the Steelers are in the playoffs. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. And be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.